No doubt many of you are familiar when I say the name Gail Black, you know who that is. Uh, Gail Black uh, was a beloved brother in Christ and just had his memorial service just a few weeks ago. On the screen you'll see a picture of Gail Black. He was a World War II veteran, decorated for his valor and his heroics. He was a tanker in the 4th Armored Divisions of Patton's 3rd Army. He was one of the fighting men who made that victory possible. He didn't like to talk much about himself, about his war stories. He turned the conversation to you eventually, and he would... You could kind of get him to open up if you like to talk about his great-grandchildren. But Gail was a hero. An artillery shell exploded at his left hand. and That's what uh, got him recognized for one of his medals. He would be one of the men to volunteer when there was a group of fighting soldiers who were trapped in a ravine. He went along with some other men to go and rescue those who were trapped down in the ravine. He volunteered knowing that that position was uh, one that he might not come back from, that that mission was a job that might be a one-way trip. Uh, He stayed in this tank so long that he froze, his feet turned black from frostbite. He was that dedicated. For his bravery, he received a bronze star, a silver star, two purple hearts, and a host of other commendations, and awards, and accolades. Gail Black was 19 years old when he did that. Now, Gail would not like me talking about him in front of all of you on a Sunday morning. That's just not the style of man that Gail was. But Gail was more than just a unique man. He came from a a generation that we are close to losing. A generation of folks who grew up in hard times and Poverty and the dirty 30s, they knew what it was, as much as anyone, to suffer. The hard times of the Depression. And yet when evil reared its ugly head, not in their own home, but halfway around the world, these were the men and the women who volunteered to go and fight evil, to stand up for what was right and to protect the lives of the innocent at great cost to their own lives. These were men who volunteered to run off boats onto blood-stained beaches into a hail of bullets because it was the right thing to do. They were a whole generation of those kind of men and many who stayed here back at home who supported them sacrificially. And those who returned came back to walk, and though they were humble men, they were men with spines of steel. It's important to understand that. I was talking with my son about Gail the day that his service was and who he was and why it's important to understand the story of the greatest generation. Because it will impact future generations. Because today there's a different generation of 19-year-olds. an intense week. A new art exhibit is a welcome distraction. 
funny. It's called the cry closet. It's all students on campus can talk about. Twitter and Facebook are going crazy. I thought I had to come out and check it out. Students are flooding the library just to get a glimpse. My friend said that there was an actual, like, crying closet. <laughs> and it's here, and it's a for real crying closet. Created by art student Nemo Miller, the closet is meant to relieve the stress of finals. A sign on the door invites students in to take a break. Just let it all out. Let yourself just get away from your studies for the next 10 minutes. Let's get a look at what's inside the closet. Stuffed animals for comfort. Lights. And, of course, a timer to keep track of how long you're in there for. I think one of these should be everywhere all the time. <laughs> Students seem to like the exhibit, even if all it does is provide a little laugh. <laughs> Just its name, like the cry closet, is a little funny um, because definitely finals is a time to cry and panic. Whether or not tears are shed, it still has people talking. It's doing exactly what art is meant to do, which is to spark a conversation. In Salt Lake City, Jenna Rowe, 2 News. I don't know if it sparks a conversation as much as it gives me a headache. We have perhaps grown a tad soft in our current generation. Not to pick on 19-year-olds, not to pick on those of you with 19-year-olds, but may, maybe it's perhaps within the realm of possibility that our current group of 9-year-olds is a little softer than the greatest generation of 19-year-olds. Why is that important? Because what our current generation is lacking is the quality known as grit. That ability, that sheer force of will to stick it out even when things get hard, even when things get difficult. It's the courage, the internal strength of character to persevere. All of us will have trials and troubles. All of us in here probably have had trials and troubles. In fact, in the Christian church, sometimes we've shied away from this. It's very popular to say, well, if you follow Jesus, life will just be hunky-dory. And such is not the case. In fact, Jesus taught quite the opposite. He said, in this world, you will face trouble. My question is, what do you do? When you face troubles and how are we teaching the next generation? Are you going to retreat to your safe space and collapse into a closet of tears? Or are you going to stand up, straighten up, accept life as it comes and have the perseverance and the will to stick it out? Will you stand up and lean in and trust God and persevere through the hard times? If you ever go to a college where there's a cry closet, I do hope you'll laugh. I do hope you'll walk right on by. I, I'm not picking on 19-year-olds. I'm not picking on people who cry. I'm saying there is a quality of character that we need to learn in this generation that we've lost. And that's what we're talking about this morning, the quality of grit. You see, it's not just a generational matter. This is a spiritual matter. When you look at the pages of the Bible, it was the, the, the quality of grit and perseverance that kept Joseph going in the pit and in the prison all the way to the palace. If you flip even more to the story of Nehemiah, it was the quality of grit that allowed him to rebuild the walls of a broken city, even in the face of opposition, with a sword in one hand and building with the other hand. It was that quality of grit 
that allowed Jesus to resolutely set out toward Jerusalem, the city where he knew he was destined to die. It was grit. It was perseverance. It was that trust in God. And that's what we're going to talk about today in our series that we're calling Overflow. The qualities of what a life looks like when it's been immersed into Jesus Christ. Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1 is the text that we've been at, verses 5 through 8. Peter writes these words. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure... It will keep you from becoming ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. We've we've learned a lot about what Peter, this life that Peter has had and that he's lived looks like. It starts with the very simple foundation of faith. The willingness to trust fully in God above even your own self. And when you add to that faith, goodness. We talked about that in two messages, talking about that God's goodness is where it starts. And that motivates our own goodness so that we're good to other people. And that we approach our lives with a call to excellence in whatever it is we do. We then seek God's wisdom, the knowledge of God. We talked about how that is important that all knowledge and true wisdom begins with God. And then last week we talked about putting the self under control of the spirit. Now this week we, we talk about today's quality is about this perseverance, the ability to stick it out. This is personal to Peter because there were several times in Peter's story where he had the ability and maybe if you and I were there understandably, we might have walked away. In John chapter 6, verse 66, the saddest verse in the Bible, it says, At this time, many followed who followed Jesus turned away and no longer followed him. These are people who walked with Jesus but decided to turn away from Jesus. Some people say it's not possible to do that. Oh, it is possible. It was possible then. It's possible today. We know people who have followed Jesus at one time and decided to turn away. Peter stuck it out. Even when the crowds left his teacher, he knew his teacher. Verse 67, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked. And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know you are the Holy One of God. Peter had to persevere when he walked, when he stepped out on the water, and then he focused on the storm and he got worried and concerned and he began to sink. He could have given up then, but he didn't. He held on to Jesus. He could have given up when Jesus was arrested and the disciples scattered and he followed at a distance and doing the thing which he pledged never to do. He denied his master, his savior, his teacher of three years. He denied him three times. And John records that that was very cold. And Peter stood by the fire trying to warm himself. Peter could have given up, you see. But he didn't give up. He persevered, 
And he didn't give up on Jesus because Jesus didn't give up on him. May we think about how instead of pulling out, Peter persevered. Peter pressed forward. Peter did not give up. And because he didn't give up, because he did persevere, because he had that quality of spiritual grit to hold on, Peter was able to see some amazing things. He was able to watch the very first worship service, the, the day of Pentecost, when tongues of fire came out on the apostles and people were speaking in tongues. Men were gathered from every nation, and Peter got to watch as the Spirit came upon him, and each of them heard the gospel of Jesus Christ in their own language, partially because Peter was the one preaching. Peter got, Peter got to preach the first gospel sermon, the message of hope of Jesus Christ to those who had killed Jesus Christ. Peter got to preach that message. The first one in 2,000 years of church history, Peter got to preach it because he didn't give up and he didn't walk away and because he persevered. He got to watch the church be born and grow even as it was persecuted, even as men tried to stomp it out as the Satan tried to kill it. Every time he stomped, every time he tried to persecute it, the church just grew and spread like wildfire. He witnessed this explosive growth in early church history. See, Peter was a first, he got a front row seat. He got to sit right here and watch this happen because he didn't give up on Jesus. That's important. And I want to encourage you that with that this morning that Christians of all ages persevere. But we persevere toward a goal. And that is our first point. We persevere toward the goal. Perseverance, you see, without a purpose is pointless. You can press on all you want, but if you're going towards something that has no purpose, that has no meaning, what's the point? Perseverance only matters if you're pressing on towards something that's matter. So what's the goal then? Some of us might mistakenly say, well, the goal is heaven, obviously. The goal is heaven. Well, the goal will get to heaven, but I don't think that's the goal. I think the goal is Jesus Christ. The goal is to focus on him, to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because listen, if you do not love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, heaven's going to be an awfully long time. And it's going to be kind of a pointless place to be if you don't truly love Jesus. The goal then is Jesus. Turn to Philippians 3.14. The Apostle Paul, who went through quite a bit himself, said this. He said, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it. My own. But one thing I do, forgetting what was behind and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on to the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The goal, you see, then, is Jesus to love him, to serve him, to obey him, to be as much like him as possible, to let him transform us. And scriptures say we become like him, we become transformed into the image of the Son of God, Christ Jesus. Focusing on the goal then keeps our problems in perspective. Uh, just by a show of hands, I know this, my, my polling system was a little, I don't know, didn't work last time, but hopefully this one will. How many of you have had any problems within the last year? Any struggles? Good, alright, good. Got a few more than three of you. Uh, you ever think what the goal is, what the purpose is when you face problems and tr struggles and trials? Think about this. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. 
I'm going to give you a message of hope from God's Word. The writer of Hebrews says this to each of you with your hand raised. And to those of you who didn't raise your hand, your lives are so perfect, I can guarantee you troubles are coming your way. Therefore, chapter 12, verse 1, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, he's talking here about people who've looked ahead to Jesus, who've had faith in God, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes. It doesn't say on heaven. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorned its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that, this is important here, you will not grow weary and lose heart. It's important when we focus on Jesus, when we understand that he's the goal, it puts all of our problems into much greater perspective. All of the things that we go through, all the struggles that you had yesterday, all of the problems that you had this last week, all of the issues that you've struggled with this past year, when you focus on Jesus and what he went through, it makes what you're going through pale in comparison. We focus on the goal. We persevere toward the goal. And as we head toward the goal, something else is happening within us. As we head toward the goal, something else is happening within us. May we understand that perseverance has purpose. I want you to consider for a moment the beautiful and yet fragile monarch butterfly. Now, we know that as transformation occurs from the lowly caterpillar who crawls along the ground, but there's a point in the caterpillar's life where it finds a branch, a tree, and it goes up and it builds itself a cocoon around itself. And it will stay there for a time and then transform into something far different and far better. Now, we think, well, that's a beautiful, glorious, pretty cool process that God shows us. But we need to understand that there's something happening here. We are watching struggle. We are watching growth, and we are witnessing transformation. And for you and I, this is a simple 90-second time lapse that some guy recorded. But for this butterfly, this is hours of long, arduous, strenuous struggle. But the process, the struggle, is crucial to its formation. You see, that that has to break through, the butterfly must break through the chrysalis as a part of being formed. It breaks through, and as it breaks through, the fluid within the wings that are newly formed pushes out into all parts of the wings so that it will be able to stretch and take air and take flight. If you were to to come upon the chrysalis, and you would say, oh, the poor butterfly, it's in his cry closet. I'm going to go help that poor baby. Oh, he shouldn't have to struggle like that. And you took an X-Acto blade and you just cut that chrysalis wide open so it could come out. And it wouldn't have to struggle. It wouldn't have to go through those hard things. But in doing so, you'd kill it. 
Because, see, without the struggle, the wings will never be formed. Without the wings being formed, it will never be fly. It can't go back to what it was as a caterpillar, but it will never fly as a butterfly without the process of struggle. Oh, we don't want to hear this. Difficulties are the way in which we grow. Look, look what Peter himself wrote about this. Turn to 1 Peter, not 2 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. And he writes this about suffering for being a Christian. He didn't talk about suffering just as being a Christian. He talked about something that we need to understand is part of being a Christian. Verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And if he brings you to it, he'll bring you through it. I'm a believer in that. But when he brings you through it, as he brings you through it, you are closer to identifying with what Jesus went through with every single struggle, every single battle, every single problem that you face. So then may we weirdly seek the struggle? That it might make us more like Jesus? You see, if your life is free from struggle, you'll be pretty immature and pretty shallow as a Christian. And there are some people who who are in a constant state of trying to rescue people from struggle. But if you rescue people from the struggle, they will never, ever get stronger. Parents, let me speak to you for just a moment as the people in charge of the 19-year-olds. And of the nine-year-olds. If you as parents are continually asking, did you do your homework? Or, or, Or sitting beside them and doing their homework for them. If you're taking on the project as your own project. And you're trying to do your best, very best to pass the sixth grade again. If you are helicoptering in every single situation, just monitoring your children's life, watching whenever they're hurt, watching whenever they're rejected, solving every problem, you are not helping them grow. In fact, you're hurting them. Don't handle every issue. Don't fight every battle. Don't take on every struggle. Don't harm them. Help them. Don't remove the chrysalis. Let them break through. They'll get stronger. They'll get better. They'll be more like Jesus. In short, if you want your children to fly, oh, you definitely don't want to hear what I'm about to say. If you want them to fly, you need to make sure they have more problems. That's the only way they learn. That's the only way they get stronger. The struggle is crucial for all of us. It's necessary to get stronger. We must fight in order to be fully formed into the image of Jesus. You ready to fight? You ready to face your battles instead of fearfully cowering away? Are you ready to come out of your safe space and boldly be the person that God has challenged you to be in Jesus Christ? I hope that you will. James describes it this way. If you're following along in your Bible, I hope that you are. James chapter 2, verse 5. James speaks quite clearly on the matter. He says this. Consider 
I apologize, James chapter 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Did you catch what James said, that rascal? He, he said, he said this, this list right here of struggles and people who are going through surgery and people who are having tests and, and people who are, who are going to undergoing, uh, all sorts of difficult things, uh, shut-ins, people who are struggling with loneliness, people who are going through hard things in their family or on their job, people like that. This should not be a, a prayer list. This should be a rejoicing list. Hey, let's rejoice. Brother so-and-so is having surgery today. Hey, rejoice. You lost your job. James says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Because, James isn't being insensitive here. Look what he says. Because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking Anything. Now look at the verse. We we talked about this last couple of lessons ago on wisdom. Look at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given. I I don't know if I can connect those two things or not, but, but James is saying here, consider it pure joy, because when you face problems, you have the opportunity to persevere, to grow stronger in your faith, and... The opportunity to grow wiser. The good news is we are not called to do this alone. That's our third point. You and I in Christ have a beautiful thing called the body of Christ. And I know that when we come to this table every week, we we recognize the body, the physical body that Jesus went, that went to the cross, that bled and died and and the, the suffering that he went through. But may we not forget just his body, but the body. See, you and I in Christ are the body of Christ. May we recognize not just the body that died for us, but the body that we live with now. One of the great blessings that we have in Christ is a body of believers, other parts of Jesus' body that are connected to us so that when we persev- or when we struggle we don't persevere alone we were in hebrews turn to hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 peter says that what we're doing right now what you did this morning in class in the moments between class and worship what you'll do in the 30 minutes to an hour following worship what you're doing here together is supremely important He says this, let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, all of us together, we're on the same journey. We're we're, we're processing down the same list that Peter's going through. And when you're here in the midst of suffering, you have a great opportunity to encourage. Every time I see Suzanne Dirks, I'm encouraged. I may just say just a few words to her, or I may not be able to talk to her at all. But when I see her in a wheelchair, knowing what she's gone through in her life, that encourages me. When I see Jerry Smith, 
who I know is in excruciating pain, that just walking hurts him. And I see him here. He encourages me just by his presence. Because I know if he's here and going through what he's going through, then I can make it through another week. When I see so many of you, and I see Dwayne Baker knowing what he's going through with his battle, and I see him, it encourages me and encourages all of us. We understand what that is. We work together, we build together, we grow together, and we persevere in Jesus Christ together. People like Justin Abraham will give you a verbal word of encouragement. Rose Shady will give you an excited hug of encouragement. The body of Christ is here for a reason. And and so many people neglect that to their own folly. Think about why God, in his infinite wisdom, created a body of people here to be a family, to be a body working together, supporting one another, and growing in Christ. It's important. It matters. Every time we're here, it's not an obligation. It's not a legalistic list, as some have made it to be. It's an opportunity to grow and be encouraged. It's an opportunity to not focus on yourself. It's an opportunity to encourage someone else. So may we, when we're here, not just be here and sit in a place and do a thing for an hour, but may we be about the business of encouraging one another. What else is the body of Christ for? To persevere, to press on, to pray together, to encourage, and to not give up. So whenever we share a meal together, whenever we learn together in class, whenever we worship together in his name, whenever we serve together, whenever we gather in a small group, we spur each other on toward love and good works. And so this month you have an opportunity to do that, not just in here, but in your own homes, as we challenge you to the October Grace Challenge. When that, that very simply is to open up your home. Christians in the first century did not gather in buildings like this. This would have been a very foreign concept to gather in a space like this. But they used what they had to encourage others every day. So I want to encourage you to do the same. Open your home, open your hearts, and invite your brothers and sisters into Christ. Could be new members, could be widows, could be elders, could be people from your class, could be people that you're working with in a ministry together. I don't, doesn't matter to me. I just want you to practice opening your home to share the love. Let me leave you this morning with two simple words that I think all Christians need to hear. They are the words, keep going. Wherever you are in your journey with Christ, may you keep going. To the the parents who are struggling, wondering if they're going to make it, keep going. To the marriage hanging on by a thread, keep going. To, To the woman who just lost her job, keep going. To the man who's been diagnosed with cancer, keep going. To the teens struggling with anxiety and self-doubt, keep going. To the young single wondering if they're ever going to find a mate, what God's purpose for them in their life is, keep going. 
to those of you who have lost a spouse and suffering with crippling loneliness, keep going. To those of you who are fighting addiction to alcohol, drugs, pornography, and are too discouraged sometimes to even be here, keep going. To those of you who are battling depression or sickness of the soul, keep going. To those of you who feel hopeless or helpless or worthless, keep going. Romans chapter 8 verse 18 says this, I consider, brothers, that our present sufferings of this present time are not to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed in us. Jesus Christ suffered. He persevered for you and I. The only way that we can keep going is to get going. If you haven't begun your journey with Jesus this morning, I want to encourage you to start and get going. And for those of you who are in Christ, to not give up and to keep going and persevere and press forward. Whatever struggles you're having are making you stronger for a purpose to make you more like Jesus. This morning, if you don't know Jesus, or if you're struggling in your walk with him, we'd love to help you get started or to keep going. We'll pray with you and for you. If you have a need, meet us down front together as we stand and sing.